Hey guys, welcome to the C1 Church Podcast. I pray that this message encourages you, builds your faith, and helps you go after Jesus. If you'd like more information about C1 Church, please go to our website at c1.church. Enjoy the message and be blessed. We have an amazing guest speaker, and I can't wait. She is one of the missionaries that we support um, year in and year out. She's one of our own. And so let's give it up for Miss Mary, missionary Mary Beth King. Thank you, Pastor Ryan. Um, good morning. Um, I w- before I get started here, I, the, while we were singing that song, um, you reign over everything, and I think Pastor Ryan and I were both tracking because I was thinking about, um, well, my time in Thailand and um, there, and those kind of songs, we didn't often sing as worship songs, or he's the king of kings, or the lord of lords, because they have a king, and you're not allowed, you're not allowed to speak of him, um, good, bad, and different, you, you just don't talk about the king, it's, it'll get you in a lot of trouble, and uh, they don't have a lot of laws like that, but even if, if you're in a building, there has to be, suppose in your home as well, a picture of the king, and nothing can be above it. So that's, there's very much so reverence for this king. And so I was thinking about that this morning as we were singing this. And um, there was, there's some other intricacies about Thailand in that even though that's the case, the king is not in charge of everything there. He's only in charge of eh, maybe some figurehead things. And then they have some other officials that kind of run the show. And the, the Lord began showing me as we were singing that about how he, lift him high, lift him high, and he will reign over everything that we put him above. But so oftentimes, we, we make him a figurehead, and we say, these are the things that you're up, and these are the things that I'll handle myself. And he says, he's able, yes, he can reign over all of those things, and he can, he can, he can heal, and he can do all those things, but so oftentimes, we're like, you're the king, and you reign over this, and I handle these things. And we don't necessarily put him at the very, very top so that he has the reign over all those other things in our lives. And I thought, oh, okay, Lord. Um, and I was like, I don't really know how to articulate that. I'll say that in my next service. Uh, but, uh, but hopefully that speaks to someone today and that we can lift him high in our lives. And if there's anything that we're like, we haven't fully given to him. Maybe it's a relationship or a worry or a, anything that we can just realign that this morning and put him at the very top because he can take care of all of it. And he will reign over those things. Um, so, yes, good morning. Uh, normally, I start my message by telling people where I'm from and what kind of church I grew up in. And it's all shot this morning. So, uh because I grew up right here. This is the church that I grew up in uh, with several of you that are still here today. And, um, and I'll, I'll explain a little bit more about why I share that here in just a minute. But before we, before we get started, started here, um, I got a question for you. What do you want to do when you grow up? What do you want to be when you grow up? And no, I didn't bring out the youth notes. That's not what happened here. Uh, but if we are still alive, we are still growing And the Lord still has something for us to do. So what do you want to do when you grow up? And I'm going to ask, if you will, this morning, if you'll give that question to the Lord. What is it you want for the rest of the days of my life? And that if he gives you a God idea this morning, that you'll be obedient to that, even if it's not what your idea was. Okay? So we're going to pray. And if you're willing to pray that prayer, pray it. If you're not, we'll... We'll pray for you. I'm just kidding. Okay. Uh, Dear Jesus, we thank you so much for this day. We thank you so much for the plans that you have for our life and uh, that you still have so much for us. And uh, I pray today, Lord, that you will give us God ideas uh, for the rest of our lives, that you will show us how what you have planned for us and uh, make it clear and give us your strength to be obedient to whatever it is that you ask of us. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. Um, so I'm going to tell you about what I do 
throughout the message, so you'll get some, you'll get some glimpses of that. Some of you are like, what do you do? And most days, that's what I wake up thinking too. Uh, what do I do? But uh, I, I don't know how many of you get to wake up and do what you just were created to do, what you love to do uh, with, with your life, but that's what I get to do. And so, um, but when I was growing up here, I, uh, we would have, we had missionaries come in all the time. And uh, some of you have heard me say this before, but it's, it's kind of crucial to my call here. So uh, we would have missionaries come in here all the time. And they would always be dressed funny, and they would get up, and they would say things like, Swadika, but you don't care. That means, that means what's up in Thai, but you don't care because you speak English. And uh, they would say, oh, in my country, we eat monkey brains. And uh, I was like, I really like Chick-fil-A. Uh, and... Uh, they, they'd be dressed funny, and, but, and they were always poor because they were always asking for money. So I was like, Lord, I don't want any of that. I want no part in this. Uh, but I went, to, I went on a missions trip, short-term missions trip, over Christmas of my freshman year of college. And uh, the Lord said, this is what you were created to do. And I knew in that moment that the person who created me knew better than me. And that that is what I wanted to do with the rest of my life. And that is what I get to do with the rest of my life. But it was quite the journey uh, to get to that point. And, uh, but what I get to do now is I run a program for students their first year of college. Well, not always their first year of college. Sometimes they come in with their AA already. Um, but it's their first year at our college, at Trinity Bible College. And it's, we, we serve all year. They still take their classes. They still live on campus. But we... In the fall, we go to Native American reservations and minister. We go to the inner city of Chicago and Milwaukee and minister. Uh, we do all kinds of fun things. And then second semester, which we're coming up on, we'll leave in January because that's what you want to do when you live in North Dakota, leave. Uh, and we'll leave in January. And half of us will go to Nepal and half of us will go to the Philippines for a month. And then we'll meet together in Thailand for a couple of weeks. And then we'll all go to Israel together um, to walk where Jesus walked. And so it's an incredible experience, and uh, I love what I get to do. Uh, and I, I take 20-somethings, 18, 19, 20-somethings with me as I do these things. So you get that's how you can pray for me, um, is I have to take those people with me. Uh, but what do you think, if it's a travel program, what kind of things do you, what do you think someone might need to be a part of this program? You can, you can shout it out. It's fine. Passport. Oh, that's, that's a good answer. That is the answer. Uh, so you need a passport. Well, I'm going to dedicate this message to a young man who, bless his heart, uh, who he signs up for this travel program, and he has no ID, no driver's license, no nothing, no passport. And I'm like, hey, John, you gotta, you got to apply for that. And he said, oh, I applied for it. It's coming. Well, I kept hearing that for weeks, and this is before COVID, so they were not as far behind as they are now. And for weeks and weeks and weeks, I kept hearing, it's in the mail. I applied for it. Well, he was not telling me the truth. But when, 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 when it came time to leave, COVID had hit, and we were not allowed to leave the country, so we had to go to Hawaii. I know my job is very sad. Uh, and so we're going to Hawaii, and so I'm like, John, you don't have to have a passport for that, but you still have to have an ID. Like, you still have to have, he's like, okay. So he goes, and he's so proud, he comes back, and he's like, got this temporary ID. And I'm like, that's 60 days, bro, 60 days. And he's, I, he's like, well, we're only gone for, like, six weeks, so it'll be all right. And I'm like, okay. So he's got his temporary 60-day ID, and we head to Hawaii. And we get there, and it is the day that we leave, and I get a phone call from John saying, oh, somebody stole my wallet. I said, John, you have a Velcro Spider-Man wallet. I don't think anybody stole your wallet. I mean, if I was going to steal somebody's wallet, it is not his. And so he's like, I can't find it anywhere. So I did, did the good thing here, and I called the girls in the girls' dorm and said, please go over to the guys' dorm and find his wallet. Because we all know men can't find things. And so, but we never found his wallet. So I sent everybody else to the airport. Well, John and I went to the airport first, and I said, y'all can come later. We're, we'll work this out. We get there, and uh, I'm like, he has no ID. He has no 
we don't even know if he exists. And so we're talking to them, and they're like, is he your son? And I said, absolutely not. Uh, I'm not claiming that. And uh, so they kept wanting me to say he was my son because that would get, and I was like, no. And so I said, I'm his teacher. And so we, anyway, I, the, the short of that long story is that they let him through with no ID. So praise God for TSA these days. Uh, but they let him through and uh, with no problem at all. And he doesn't even look right. So, uh, but the title, this message is dedicated to him today because it's called No ID. Uh, and then I always talk about, because I usually am preaching in the north. Last week I preached in South Dakota and people were from Canada. So they really couldn't understand anything I was saying. But uh, so No ID, or like here, No ID. Or no idea is the, is the title of this message because sometimes we have no idea what God is asking of us or no idea of what we, what we want to be doing. And so, um, dedicate this message to John who now has a passport and knew that I was doing this at the beginning of each of my messages and showed up at a service and came up and brought me his passport. But it was of August 2022 and he did the program in 2019 and 2020. So, I said... It's still, still no good. Uh, so, but um, like I said before, when God called me into the ministry, it was on that trip, and you know I was dead set on doing what, uh, doing what I wanted to do. But it was after that trip, it was I heard from the Lord, and it was clear. Now, I'm not that old, but when the Lord was speaking to me at 18, 19 years old. No one, I didn't have, there were no cell phones. No one had 24-7 access to me as in communication. Uh, there were no streaming channels. So it was just whatever came on. You, that's, what, that's what you saw unless you learned how to work a VCR, and I don't know if anybody ever did. And so um, the only people that had access, you know, could tell me what, you know, my parents, of course, weighed in on what they wanted to do with my life and had friends that would weigh in. But even for them to weigh in, they had to call my landline and get through my parents to tell me what they wanted me to do. There was no Instagram or Facebook showing me images 24-7 of what someone my age was supposed to look like, think like, and be like. So it was a little bit easier, a lot easier, I'll say, for me to hear from the Lord than it is for a young person today. And I will go as far as to say that it's even easier, it was e easier then for me to hear from the Lord than it is for us as adults today. He is just one of many voices, many things fighting for our attention. So we have to be so intentional. And so um, for my students, initially I just wanted them all to be missionaries. But as they were coming in, some of them being pastor's kids, church kids, some of them not yet having a relationship with the Lord, I realized that that foundation in their identity in Christ and even being able to identify who Christ was and his greatness was lacking. And I said, okay, we got we to rework this because they've got to have that foundation of who God is and who they are in him. And so um, because... And I know that we can, you know, we, we live in a crazy place. But when I went to get my driver's license, like this right here, and it asked uh, if I was male or female, they just put down female. They didn't ask me to tell them. But for our young people today, they have to make these decisions as well. Like, what do I want to put on my license? And we know that that comes from the Lord. But it was never even a choice for the rest of us. But for them, there's a lot of choices and a lot of things they're being asked to decide, which they shouldn't be. Because the Lord has decided it. So, um, we're going to utilize the life of Moses today to see how all this plays out in the big crazy world. But I want you to think about maybe yourself at that age or other teenagers that you have in your life right now as we, as we go through this message. Um, because I want you to think about what position that they are in. And we're, like I said, we're going to be in Exodus and we're going to talk about Moses. Um, navigating the world for a teenager 20-something these days is very, very different. Uh, in Exodus chapter 2, we start with the life of a young man named Moses. And uh, it says, 
it says, The woman conceived and bore a son, and when she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. So here, this is the first phase of Moses' life. He's a fine child. Remember that about your children? Those first three days of their life? I'm just kidding. Uh, and he said, this is a fine child that could do no wrong. And then they begin to grow up. And um, Moses, Moses gets a name here. Let's see, where does he get his name from? He grows up. He gets his name because it literally means I drew him out of water. It says, when the child grew older, she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. And she named him Moses because she said, I drew him out of water. So that's how he got his name. And then he starts to grow up and he becomes a teenager. It says, one day when Moses had grown up, he went out to his people and looked on their burdens. And he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his people. He looked this way and that and seeing no one, he struck down the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. When he went out the next day, behold, two Hebrews were struggling together, and he said to the man in the wrong, Why do you strike your companion? He answered, Who made you prince and judge over us? Do you mean to kill me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, Surely this thing is known. So here's Moses. He grows up a bit. He looks out on the plight of his people, and he sees people abusing them. He sees the cry of the world, and he says, This is not right. And he doesn't handle it in the right way. He ends up killing a guy, and then people know about it, and Moses gets scared, and he has to run away. So Pharaoh hears about it, it says, and it says he sought to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and stayed in the land of Midian, and he sat down by the well. By a well. Um, when, so he's sitting by this well, and seven daughters come, and they're drawing water to feed their father's flock. But shepherds come and they drive them away. But Moses stands up. He was a man about justice. And he says no. And he stands up and he saves them. And he watered their flock for them. When they came home to their father, the father said, How is it that you have come home so soon today? And they said, An Egyptian delivered us out of the hand of the shepherds and even drew water for us and watered our flock. And so he says to his daughter, Where is he? Why did you leave a good man behind? Um, call him that he may eat bread. So... Moses has this moment, and again, he's still like, oh, this isn't right. I'm going to do something about it. But he's, and this time he handled it a little bit better. And you get, he goes, he has dinner at their house, and then in verse 21, it says, And Moses was content to dwell with the man, and he gave Moses his daughter Zipporah, and she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Gershom, because it says, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land. In verse 21, where it says, Moses was content to dwell with the man and his daughters, I call this Moses' basement experience, his comfort zone. Because Moses had messed up, so he went a different direction than he would have previously. And he finds himself out in hiding, and then, then he, these people, they take him in, and he says, I'm content to stay here. I don't know what my life was going to look like, but I'm content to stay here. And I see it happen all the time in young people, in old people, in, in all people, where we get to a comfortable place, it's maybe not where we wanted to end up. It's maybe not where God had planned for us to end up. But the circumstances of our life led us to this spot and we say, I'm comfortable here and I'm going to stay. Well, the Lord has more for us and for those basement dwellers and for people who think they messed up too bad to continue in a good direction. And so um, and we see it here in like Moses' life because you go down... In verse 23, and he says, During the many days the king of Egypt died, and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God, and God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham and with Isaac and with Jacob, and God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. So this is what's happening in the current time for him. People are crying out. They are, um, it's, they're oppressed. They're in slavery. And those are his people. But here's Moses, and he's content to dwell with the man and his daughters. But in, in chapter 3, it says, Moses was keeping the flock of his father-in-law, and he led his flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire out of the midst of a bush. He looked, and behold, the bush was burning, yet it was not consumed. And Moses said, I will turn aside to see this great sight. Why is this bush not burned? When the Lord saw that he had turned aside to see, God called to him out of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And I want you to keep in mind here, Moses says, here I am. 
Okay, so Moses is out here, and he was very distracted by his life and the choices that he had made previously, and the cry of his people was still there, and we know that that was Moses' heart. Um, And the Lord says, I'm still going to get to Moses. And so there's this burning bush, and he knows exactly where Moses is going to be, and he says, Moses, Moses. And... um, he says, Moses, Moses, because I want the, point, the first point I want to make is that the Lord knows your name. He knows your name, and he knows where you are, and he knows where he wants you to be. And he will burn bushes, and he will do all kinds of things to get your attention. And um, the, the verses on the, on the screen here, he knows your name. It's a verse in Revelation, uh, chapter 2, verse 12 through 17 explains it. But it says that when we get to heaven, that we'll be given a white stone with a name that is only known between us and the Lord. Because Moses was given a name because he was drawn out of water. But the Lord says, oh, I got, I got a greater name for you. As my son, and he has this name that he calls him. But when we get to heaven, it'll be on a stone. I think, oh, I can't wait to get my stone. Is it just going to say, the favorite the best, the most loved, uh, all of those things. Whatever it is, we'll recognize it because it's God's name for us and he created us. So he knows Moses' name. He calls him and Moses initially says, here I am, what you got? And uh, he begins to tell him what he wants him to do. In uh, He says, I've seen the affliction of the people. This is further down in verse 3. And I've heard their cry, and I know their sufferings, and I've come down to deliver them and bring them up. And I'm sure Moses is like, yes, praise God, like you're going to bring that, you're going to help. Then he says to Moses, come, I will send you to Pharaoh that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. So he says, I'm going to do this great thing. And Moses is like, yeah. And he says, you come because you're going to go to Pharaoh, and it's going to be you who brings them out of their affliction. It's going to be you who volunteers for the kids that cry in the nursery. It's going to be you that helps the homeless people. It's going to be you that helps the foster kids. It's going to be you who, whatever it is that God has pricked your heart with that bothers you on the news, that bothers you about what's going on around us today, he's saying you hear that cry and we say, oh, Lord, yes, Lord, take care of all those people. Take care of that thing. Take care of that nation who worships idols. Take care of that nation who, 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 who is in Islam. Take care of the, take care of the sex slaves. Take care, of, take care of the people that we pass on our way to work. Take care of all those people, Lord. And he says, okay, come, you. This is how I'm going to take care of them. And Moses backtracks a little bit, and he says, who? He says, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh Who am I that I should go to the nations? Who am I that I should go to the homeless? Who am I that I should go to the lost? Who am I that I should take in the foster child? He said, bring the children of Israel out of Egypt. And he said, but he says, no, 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 no. Who am I that I should be able to do this? And the Lord says, I'll be with you. And there should be a sign for you that I've sent you. And when you have brought the people out of Egypt, you'll serve God right here. Then Moses continues to argue. And he says, if I come to them and I say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me. And they'll say, what is his name? And God says, tell, him, tell them I am. He says, say this to the people. He say, I am has sent me to you. And God also said to Moses, say this to the people. The God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. He says, go and gather the elders. And he gives them all of this stuff to do. And he tells them, I'm going to be with you, and I'm going to take care of it. But then you get to, um, Moses is nervous. Moses says, no. Not me, not me. And he begins, I know that Moses in his mind right here is replaying in his mind, I killed somebody. I, this is not going to work out. People know what kind of person I am. I can't be going and talking about God. I can't be going and taking care of this. Look what I've done in my own life. The first thing is he knows your name. The second thing is he knows every single day of your life. Psalm 139, 16 says, You saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. And so for some of us, that's very comforting. He knows every single moment of my life. And other people are like, oh, Lord, this is not good. 
For Moses, that's how he felt because he's like, he knows the day I killed somebody. Um, I want to take a little detour here for just a second um, because I want to show you something. I have to spend a ton of time with my students overcoming their past. And some of them are only 18. But they, they're so bogged down by the decisions that have already been made. And we spend a lot of time overcoming the lies of the enemy. Um, and a lot of them struggle in the beginning to even, um, to even speak up and tell us their name and something about them. Like that's something you do in the very beginning. What's your name? Something about you. Something nobody else would know. I literally had an 18-year-old young man tell me, I'll text it to you. As we're going around the room and we're talking these things, he says, I'll text it to you. And he would often, his, his friends would tell me, and I was like, why does he act that way? They said, oh, he does that to us too. If we're like, hey, Darius, what's wrong? He'll text while they're sitting there beside him asking what's wrong. It's just so bogged down um, by these things. And so uh, there's, a, there's another guy, and you'll recognize him too, but in 2 Samuel... Um, chapter 7, and this, this really, to me, I'm like, okay, because people are like, no, well, if you killed somebody, that might disqualify you. If you did this, that might disqualify you. But in, in 2 Samuel chapter 7, we talk, it's King David. And King David has grown up, and he has lived his life. It says he lived in the house, and the Lord had given him rest from all his surrounding enemies. And so he's got a lot of time to think. He's old. He's retired, Dad. Uh, you go, and you do, he says, you know what? I think at this point in my life, I need to build a house for the Lord. And even Nathan was like, the prophet, he said, sure, go do that. But the Lord spoke to the prophet and says, no, 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 that's not what I want from David at this time in his life. And he begins to tell David what he has planned for him. He says, David, I don't want you to build me a house. I'm going to build you a house. And I'm going to make your name great. And he starts to tell him all these things he's going to do, do for him. But he says, I'm going to tell you something else, because I know that you're itching to build this house. He says, I'm going to raise up your offspring, and I will establish his kingdom, and he shall build my house. And my steadfast love will not depart from him. And your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before me, and your throne will be established forever. And he talks to him, and he says, there's going to be a big temple built for me, and it's going to be your son that does it. Okay, what do we know about David? If I just said, tell me something you know about David. He killed Goliath. That's a good one. What else? Okay, humble beginnings. He started off as a shepherd boy. What else? Warrior. Good. He, that's good. That's one of the, yeah. He what? Okay, very gifted. Okay, good, good. What else? Oh, there's one in every crowd. Got to be bringing out the mistakes. But somebody, we usually get there uh, at Bathsheba. Somebody's got to bring up Bathsheba. somebody got to bring up that the man committed adultery and committed murder because he did. I mean, it was like diabolical. It wasn't just like, I'm going to go out and kill this guy. He like had him killed strategically. So we know that David's a man after God's own heart. He's uniquely gifted. He started in humble getting. We know he was called by the Lord. We know that he was a king. We know all of these things. But we also know that he committed adultery and had someone killed. So why am I bringing up David's, David's issues here? Because in 2 Samuel chapter 7, David's like, I want to build this and I want to do this. Well, he says, you, you'll have a son, and that son, the son later, you're going to have a son, and that son's going to build it for me. Who, Solomon is the son. Who was Solomon's mother? Bathsheba. He doesn't say to David, oh, your life's not over yet. you still got a lot of screwing up that you're about to do. He doesn't say, you know what, you're going to commit adultery and kill somebody, but I'm going to take care of all of it for you. He just says, I love you, son, and you're going to have a son, and he's going to build my temple. He says that to David. He had everything worked out for the good of David, even though he knew what the decisions David was going to make. Because he knows every single day of our lives, even the really horrific bad ones, and he says, oh, but I still got good stuff for you. Keep following me. So he knew that even before. He knows our name. He knows every single day of our life. Um, 
So the next one you get through, we, we get here, and this is what I deal with the most, is because I have these, these students, and I'm taking them, they're going to share testimony. Sometimes they're going to teach classes in public schools in the Philippines, and they're going to be talking to Muslims. They're going to be talking to Buddhists. They're talking to, to Native Americans. They're talking to all of these people who, um, who, who are not following the Lord. And they're placed in some crazy situations. Sometimes I put them up in a prison and say, okay, tell these people about Jesus. And like I said, when they come to me, they're like, I'll just text it to you. Well, you can't text it to the prisoners. So um, we get here in Exodus chapter 4, and you got now Moses answered, but behold, they're not going to believe me or listen to my voice. And uh, the Lord said, what is that in your hand? And we'll get to it in just a second. But he says, a staff. And he said, throw it to the ground. He threw it to the ground. Okay. This, this passage has never, this, the Lord has shown me his ways here as I work with these young people. Because I've never read it like this before. But he says, Moses, okay, calm down. What, are you already, what do you already have? What are your gifts and your talents? Because sometimes I break this down with them. And I'm like, okay, you love basketball? Let's do that. And he got one of my students. Moses would have been a packer bagger. Because he says, Moses, what do you have? He said, I got this stick. What are you going to do with that? That's all I got. And I was like, oh, Lord. Because that, that's the kind of stuff they say. I'm going to get this lint in my pocket. Uh, so he says, I got this stick. That's all I got, Lord. And the Lord says, okay. I'm sure he was like, oh, Moses. He says, okay, throw that stick down. He throws that stick down. He t- it turns into a snake. Like, that's a really cool trick. Moses is like, uh-uh. He runs away. And the Lord says, come back, Moses. Grab it by the tail. He grabs it by the tail, and it becomes a staff again. He's like, see, I'm going to be with you. We, you're good. Even just this stick is going to show people my power. And uh, he says, no, 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 Lord. Uh, he says, you don't understand. And he starts talking about all his shortcomings again. And the Lord says, okay, Moses, Moses, put your hand inside your cloak. And he puts his hand inside his cloak. And when he took it out, it was white like leprosy. He had leprosy all over his arm. And then God said, put it back inside your cloak. And so he put his hand back inside his cloak. And when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. He said, see, they'll believe you because I'm a God that heals. And I have to do this all the time with my students. Because they'll come in and they'll have suffered some abuse or some trauma. And that it's, it's very common, even as young as they are. Um, and there will be some things. And I will watch God heal them. And I'll watch them as they get up and they share that what used to plague them, the scars and the things, and God restores that to his wholeness and to, to healing after this. Um, I had a student who, who had asthma really bad, like even on days where they would do some of the things for, around the farms where we are, uh, he would have severe asthma attacks just walking outside where we are in Ellendale, North Dakota. Well, he was supposed to go on the Nepal track where we were going to be tracking in the Himalay- trekking in the Himalayas and we'll be in Kathmandu, which is a very dirty city. And I was like, Joe's going to die. And uh, he's, he's, a, he's, a, he's a redneck boy from South Dakota, and he's, he's special sometimes. And uh, he, uh, in chapel, evidently there was a speaker who asked for them to come down for physical healing, and I wasn't there. And he evidently went down for physical healing, and he comes back, and he's like, hey, I'm throwing away all my inhalers. Because God gave me new lungs today. And there's always sweet people in the crowd who say, oh, that's wonderful. Amen. God brought healing. And I said, don't throw those inhalers away. What if you need them? I'm like, new lungs, that's a big deal. We'd have to be on a transplant list for a long time to get new lungs. Chapel was only 15 minutes. I don't know. And he says, I'm throwing them away. And then he says some ugly words. But, uh... And I was like, okay, Joe, I'm going to tell you that he made that trek through the Himalayas in Nepal. He has never needed, this was three years ago, he has never needed an inhaler since. And he was a young man who was like, I will not share a testimony. I will not, you know, I'm just, I'm going along for the ride, basically. And he gets to tell that amazing story everywhere we go. I've had students get up and talk to little girls who have been victims of trafficking and spend days with them and pray with them. And God healed them of their own sexual assault stories. I've watched God heal emotional 
wounds and physical wounds as they serve him. Not before, not, not before they say yes and step out, but during. Because that's the way God is. Then we get to the next part, and he says, uh, put your hand, okay, he says, and Moses says, they're still not going to believe me, even with this really cool leprosy trick that you just gave me. And he says, okay, if they don't listen to that or to the first sign, they may believe this latter sign. And he says, um, take some water from the Nile and pour it on dry ground, and the water that you shall take from the Nile will become blood on dry ground. And then he goes on and he says, I'm not eloquent either in past or since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow to speech. We'll get to that in just a second. But he tells him, do this that has nothing to do with you and just show them that I am, I am who I am. I am the God of the universe. And they can, they'll know you by these signs and they'll know me by these signs and wonders that you're going to do. And my students, even sometimes after God has healed them or God has um, spoken to them or done these things, sometimes they're still reluctant servants. And we were in Honduras last summer or last spring. I don't know, it was really hot. It's always summer in Honduras, I think. Uh, and uh, we're in this church and the pastor said to me, he said, I need three testimonies. And you would think by the end of the year when we've ministered all over the world that they would just be like, here I am. I'll share my testimony. I got zero takers when I asked for testimonies. And I said, somebody give me a testimony. And they're all just looking at me like, it's not me. I was like, oh. And so I voluntold a couple of them to give testimonies, and they were very reluctant. They are like, well, I don't know what I'm going to share. And I was like, well, maybe Jesus doesn't know where you're going to go when you die either, but you're selling testimony. Oh, I'm just kidding. Okay, so um, they say they're going to share. They get up. I don't even know what they shared. It had to be translated from English into mosquito and then into Spanish because we were way far out. And, um, or English to Spanish, then mosquito. And after they were done sharing, and I didn't feel like they did a stellar job. I was going to talk to them a little later about their attitudes. The pastor says, okay, we're, well, everybody started to leave the church. I don't know what he said, but everybody started to leave the church. And I thought, oh, goodness, what kind of testimony did they share? And we go and we get in our truck and I ask the missionaries, I said, what is happening? And they said, after their testimonies, 12 people, and this was a small church, said they wanted to give their hearts to the Lord. And we believe here in this culture that you need to be baptized immediately. And so they said, we have to go to the lagoon and baptize these 12 people. I'm going to tell you that it was not the words that came out of their mouth, but it was the power of God that he had called and asked them to do that caused whatever it was that they so reluctantly shared to cause people to want to follow Christ that day. He says, I'm faithful even when you don't want to be. And I'm going to take care of it. And so I've watched him do that time and time again with my students. And the first one, he knows your name. He knows every single day of your life. The third one is he will equip you. He may be showing you something or someone or a people group or something today, and you're like, uh-uh, not me. Because even after all this, Moses says, oh, Lord, I am not eloquent, either in the past or since you have spoken to your servant. I'm slow to speech and of tongue. I stutter. The Lord said to him, who made your mouth? Who makes the mute or the deaf or the seeing or the blind? Is it not me? Is it not the Lord? He says, no, go. And I'll be with your mouth and I'll teach you what to say. But he said, oh, Lord, please send someone else. He's still saying no. And I'm going to tell you this right now. You look around and there are churches on every corner and of, of, of our town. And it's that way throughout the whole United States. There are so many people in our country who go to church, who proclaim Christianity, yet there are still 6,000 unreached people groups. And I am pretty confident, I'm not good at math, but I believe that God is. And I don't think that he's like, man, what are we going to do? There's these 6,000 unreached people groups over here. I don't think he's up there and he's worried about it. I think he has called plenty of people to reach those 6,000 people groups. I think he has called them in ways to pray and to go and to give. And he has said to all of us who know him, hey, here's the cry of 6,000 people who are bowing down to Buddhist idols, who are responding to the call to prayer multiple times a day, who are serving thousands of Hindu gods. There's not a math problem. He has called enough people 
to do enough things to reach the 6,000 unreached people groups. But there's a lot of little Moseses out there who are saying, not me, I cannot do it. Whatever he's asked for their part to be, they're saying, not me, I'm not capable, I'm not good enough. And even here, Moses is still saying, please send someone else. And the Lord was angry with him. It says, then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses and he said, okay, is there not Aaron, your brother, the Levite? I know he can speak well. So behold, I'm going to send him out to meet you. And when he sees you, he's going to be glad in his heart. You shall speak to him and put the words in his mouth. And I will be with your mouth and with his mouth. And I will teach you both what to do. And he shall speak for you to the people. And he shall be your mouth. And you shall be as God to him. So take that staff in your hand. Because you're going to need it to do the signs. He says, even when Moses says, no, I can't do it. He says, the Lord, he was irritated with him. But he says, okay, I hear you. I know how you were created out of dust. So I'm going to send you with your brother Aaron. He provides us with community that will help us along the way. When we don't feel like we can do it in and of ourselves, and when we don't even trust what the Lord is telling us about ourselves and that he'll be with us, he says, I'm going to send you with community. I'm going to send you with support. He will equip you. Whether it's that stick that you think is worthless in your hand or you think, oh, there's an illness, there's something wrong inside of me. He says, no, I got healing for that. And he says, even when you're reluctant, I am God and I am more powerful and I will show people who I am if you will just go. And if you will just do whatever it is that I've asked you to do. Um, I had a team one point that uh, they were older. This is when I worked for Convoy of Hope, and we were going to be in the Philippines for about two months. And they had all, they were all about 30 years old, which is not a, was not normal for the type of teams that I had. And uh, so when it came time to do traditional ministry type stuff like skits or dramas or get up and share things, these people, these people were like, mm -mm, I'm not doing that. I'm not going to do a dumb skit. 30 years old. I was a baker for 10 years, or I was a banker for 10 years. There's one guy, he, was, he just didn't get a coaching job that semester at a high school, so he's, he came along for that, and they had all these different things. And so when it came time to do children's ministry or anything, they just ran away. I said, listen, we're going to be here in Cebu at, at Happy Horizons with my friends John and Kelly, and you're not going to embarrass me. Um, you're going to do stuff. And uh, they, they're complaining, and they're saying all this. I said, okay, well, tell me what you got. And they began to tell me about basketball and banking and baking and all that. And I said, fine. Let's set up three weeks of life skills and camps. And one of them said, well, I love photography. And she's actually a professional photographer now. Um, she says, let's gather up cameras and let the kids take artistic pictures. And we'll get them printed out. And then we'll do an art show at the end. I said, sure. And Nikki, who had owned a bakery for 10 years, said, I'll teach them to bake. Because the Philippines is really hot, so they don't do a lot of baking but they, were, they do have a big stove there at Happy Horizons, and so a big oven. And they, so they baked all these cookies and cakes that they wouldn't normally do or know how to do, but she taught them to do that. My banker taught them about uh, savings accounts and how to manage their money, and he says, you know what else? He says, I also am uh, a black belt or some sort of belt in one of those things. And uh, he says, I can teach self-defense. And I said, amazing. Well, who better to teach self-defense to than these kids who have been trafficked? And then uh, the basketball guy goes, can I just do a basketball camp? Yep. So for three weeks, they were busy all day doing what the Lord had created and gifted them to do. And those little girls and boys at Happy Horizons loved every minute of it. And even better, I didn't have to do anything. Um, but he says, I got you. And the last point is he has a plan. Sometimes the Lord will give us an idea or ask us to do something or go somewhere or, or speak to someone that intimidates us and we, we're scared. And he says, I know this is a, somewhat of an overused verse here, uh, but I, he says, I have a plan, Jeremiah 29, 11, and it's a good plan, plan to give you hope, plans to prosper. And uh, sometimes we look at things and they've been broken for so long, like that loved one that's lost, he has a plan. We look at the plight of the world and we're like, why on earth are they asking them to choose their sex on the driver's license? Why is that not just a given? And we're like, there's just the whole world is lost and it's overwhelming. He has a plan. You hear that there are 6,000 unreached people groups throughout the world and that's, it's overwhelming. He has a plan. But as he said before about the Great Commission in Matthew and Mark, that plan is us. 
That plan is you and I to whoever God places in front of us on a given day. Your pastor's really good at this. When I called and asked him for this service, I didn't get, it was like two hours on the phone with this man. Uh, but telling me about all the people that he had prayed for and all the things that he does. And he said, now I want you to preach. And that was funny because I just booked another service. And the pastor said, now we don't want you to preach. You're a missionary. Just talk about missions. I can preach. You just tell about missions. And Pastor Ryan says, I want you to preach. We don't come to church just to hear stories. We want to hear the word of God. And I was like, okay. You just get different places every time. And uh, he's telling me all of these things um, about sharing the gospel with people here in our community. Because God's plan is to use us, to use our mouth that, yes, he created, and that sometimes says words that he doesn't like for us to use. He wants to use our mouth, our bodies, our resources, our gifts, our talent to reach those people that we hear crying out. And for each one of us, it's, it's probably somebody different. For some of you, it's just that crying baby in the nursery, and you're like, oh, I should be doing that at least once a month, taking care of that. Or maybe you see the teenagers and you think, what is wrong with them? And they need people to mentor them. They need people to speak into their lives. They need people uh, to show them who God is. But he has a plan. How will we respond? And so um, I know that, I didn't tell you a lot of stories about Nepal and Bangladesh and the Philippines and all of those things. um, Because I feel like sometimes those things can seem so far away from our reality. But we are the people of God. We are the people who know him intimately. We are the people who know, uh, say, hey, I'm going to give my Sunday morning to worship the Lord. We are the people that he has gifted with resources of testimony after testimony of God showing up, of God being faithful, of God healing, of God providing. And he says, I don't just do that for you. I'm doing that for all of the people who don't know me so that you can share those things. So um, I don't know if the Lord has spoken to you anything today. I hope that he has. I prayed and asked him that he would. But whatever it is that he asks of you, be obedient You don't know that that little baby in the nursery or that that teenager is not one day going to be a missionary that goes out and reaches the world. Because I was in that nursery and I was in that class and I grew up right here in this church. So your investment here, even just in this building, could be the answer to the 6,000 people groups. So thank you so much. Man, let's give it up for Jesus. That is awesome. I, I got to be honest, guys. Every time I hear a missionary speak, I actually just want to go on the mission field. I'm like, Lord, like I always say, I'm going to retire out of C1. But at the same time, I'm saying, Lord, do you want me to go? <laughs> how, I, how, I want to, how, how, how I want us to respond to this is I want us to ask. Lord, what do you want from me? Too often in today's American Christianity here in the United States, we think God is here to serve us. He's not. He's God. We're creation. We're here to serve him. We give him our life. We make him king and too often, as Christians, we settle for Sunday morning. When Jesus says, I've come to give you life and give it to the full, it's a, a life of, it might be a life of going to Nepal or going across the street. What if you won your subdivision for the Lord? Guess what? People here in Columbia that don't know Jesus are just as lost as people who worship idols in India. (laughs) They're going to go to the same hell. So let's just take a moment with no music, nothing to distract us. And I'm not going to say, oh, it's going to be a still small voice. It's not. It might be a passing thought. Be a passing thought. Pray for your neighbor. Text your nephew. Just, let's just say, Lord, here I am. Use me.
Let's offer ourselves. What does Paul say in Romans 12? A living sacrifice. know I'm, I'm not going to preach even though I haven't preached for two weeks Jesus also with the great commission Miss Mary Beth you, you hit it so hard he equips us if we truly want to be used by God there's this verse in Acts chapter 1 he says and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth, which is interesting. We always, as, as Pentecostals, we've always heard this broke down like, oh, Jerusalem's our hometown, and then Judea's our region and all that stuff. But actually, all the 11 of the disciples that he was talking to were all missionaries to Jerusalem because they weren't from Jerusalem. Right from the start, he was saying, be a missionary. And the Holy Spirit's going to give you power to be a missionary. And let's, let's just pray, church, let's pray, Holy Spirit, give me power to be a witness. What is a witness? Like, we, we could be, like, well, I, I don't know the Bible very well. I don't know it all that good. A witness is just a, this is what God's done to me. That's what a witness, I, I, I can't say what God did for you, but I can tell you what he did for me. Let's ask the Holy Spirit for power to be a witness. Let's just take a moment, church. If you want to be a witness for God, if you want to be used by God, let's take the equipment he's given us, and he's given us the power of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we need you to transform this world for the kingdom of God, to push back darkness in the name of Jesus. Fall upon your church, Holy Spirit. We want to be yours. We are cash in your hands to be spent where you want us to spend. Oh God, I pray, Holy Spirit, fall on your church. Let us walk out of this place with the dunamis power to be a witness, to be a missionary to our neighbor. Lord, we know that we're sojourners on earth. This is not our home. God, give us power and boldness to speak the truth of your word in the mighty name of Jesus.